Welcome, 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 geeks and nerds, girls and boys, to the 200th episode of geek to me Radio. My very special guest today, Alan Burnett, executive producer and writer and director on so many beloved animated features. We're going to talk to him, dig into his career, what his favorite projects were from his career, all that and more. Stand by. For those of you finding us for the very first time, welcome to geek to me Radio. I'm your host, James Enstall. For you longtime listeners, thank you for being with me on this ride as we celebrate now our 200th episode since we first aired here in St. Louis on a radio station now broadcasting to all of you worldwide. So thank you all for joining me. Thank you for continuing to stay with me. Make sure you're following me on Twitter and Instagram at geek to me Radio so you never miss an update or a show announcement or anything else. We have a full show today with our guest. Let's go. Right now, we're joined by multi-Emmy Award-winning writer, producer, creator, Alan Burnett. Alan, thanks so much for your time today. Very good to be here. Where to start with your impressive uh, resume of credits you've got under your belt for both writing and producing? Uh, I, I listened to an interview that you did a few years back, and evidently you started out as an NBC page way back in the day. And uh, kind of one of your first animated experiences was working on NBC when they were doing the Fantastic Four. Yes, I was um, I was a page at NBC, um, and there was an internship that uh, I tried out for for a ch- in children's programs, and I got it, and so I became an intern at uh, NBC for about I don't know half a year to a year, and my two bosses, the manager of children's programs was Gene McCurdy, who would go on to become my boss on Batman the Animated Series, and Margaret Lesh, who. Uh, was the director of children's programs at that time who would go on to run uh, uh, so many things, including uh, Hanna-Barbera. She was the vice president in charge of production, but she sort of just ran that place. And uh, so these two women uh, represent like uh, uh, my bosses for half my career. So uh, I was, so it was, you know, it was, it, it was good to have uh, become an intern at children's program. So my job there was to go over storyboards and stuff, to make notes and report these notes back to mostly Margaret Lesh, who would then call up the producers with the notes. And one of the shows they were doing at the time was uh, the fantastic four, um, uh, which did not have the human torch because they didn't want to promote a character who, <laughs> who could light on fire. Right. So uh, they had this little crazy robot guy, and uh, 
and you know, I'm I'm a I was you know a huge comic book reader when I was a kid, and Fantastic Four was one of my favorite comics, and Jack Kirby was one of my favorite artists. Yes, and I'm reading these boards and making notes on boards that that Jack Kirby wrote, <laughs> drew, and uh, you know it was it was uh, kind of I, I was just amazed that I was in this position. I was just like like 27, 26. And, um, and anyways, and you know what he was, um, I, I, his boards like were hard to figure out. And, uh, later on I talked with people who also dealt with his boards and said, yes, yes, they were. <laughs> he sort of drew them like, like, uh, like comic book panels. And ah. sometimes you, you just, you didn't quite see the hookup. And so uh, I made those notes, but I, uh, I wish I would have met him. I wish I would have met him, uh, but uh, it was not to be. But I was, it was, I was privileged to, you know, be among the first in the, at a network to go over his boards. And having done that job, uh, like you said, being a kid growing up reading comic books like Batman and Spider-Man and the Superman family of comics and things like that, to, to look back at your career now must be very surreal that you had such a huge hand in not only creating new characters for this world, but just being able to play with so many of them. Yeah, I mean, um, I really was a big, big comic book reader for about like like five years between, you know, the ages of nine and 14, I guess. And then I went on to, you know, you go on to James Bond and stuff like that. Right. But um, but I, uh, when, when I first started on Batman the Animated Series, I had the, uh, uh, the, the, the grateful task of going back to uh, DC Comics, being flown back to New York, uh, to go through um, all the Batman comic books from 1955 to, the, 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 to 1991, which was wow. when I started there. And yes, and Paul Levitz, who was the vice president would he become the president of the company he sat down with me and they brought out all these volumes and we just went through the comps just to, did, did an overview it took two days and it was all the um, batman comics and the detective comics and around uh, 1959 comics i started recognizing covers and stuff and said oh yes i had this one hmm. and so that's that's how that show started in a way but yes, when I was a kid, I read them. I read comics voraciously, and uh, I even got a uh, a subscription to uh, Spider Man because I never wanted to miss Spider Man. And I discovered that they didn't have uh, much respect. They really wanted people to buy the comic books off the off the uh, shelves or in the stores because uh, when they delivered the comic, when it was mail, it was all bent up and right. And the infamous subscription just, curl that you'd get in the middle of the book. Yeah, it was horrible, horrible. <laughs> So yeah, I was uh, uh, I was a huge comic book reader, and uh, you know it it was it was ironic that um, my, my career, I mean, reading those comic books as a kid meant more than you know my masters in film production from USC. <laughs> I mean, it just did. So um, it's funny how uh, what you do comes back to help you, or you know, help yeah. Come, in my case, help me a great deal. And it's very interesting. You were able to go back and read all those uh, comics and look over them from that because there's so many great homages to the old er detective comics and the older Batman comics in Batman the Animated Series 
where it just it, it came through, I think, for obviously it was it was great for kids at a young age, but also for someone like me who was in high school when it came out. Uh, just I could see the the love that was given to these characters and the tribute that was paid to the history that uh, had been written for the character. So kudos on that front. Well, thanks. I mean, uh, that's essentially what we did was that the whole crew glommed on to the best that they liked about Batman. And that's the sort of Batman's show we made. Largely, you know, you can see that as a, a show that's created all the way down the line by comic book readers. You can see that. And yes. working with uh, all the talent you had in the show, we mentioned uh, Bruce Tim and Paul Dini. We've had Andrea Romano on the show a few times talking about her love of that show and how, you know, she was not a comic book reader going into it. But when when you think of the voices from Batman, the animated series, now you it's inextricably linked with Kevin Conroy, with Lauren Lester, uh, Mad Hatter with the great Roddy McDowell. It's, it's amazing the talent that came through. Yeah, well, that was all her doing. She cast the... Uh... Uh, amazing people i think it was a breakthrough show on casting i think it changed casting and cartoons from that point on there was, there was something about batman that that uh star quality people wanted to be a part of and um and we were grateful to have them and when i look back on all the names you know like roddy mcdowell and everybody you know mark hamill and all that um it's it's quite astonishing the, uh, the the caliber of people we were getting. It was her doing. Were you able? Were did I mean again? Because I'm I know I'm never sure how heavy handed or what the producer's role is in in an entire project as far as that goes. Because I've heard different producers say I wasn't that involved. Some say I was very hands on. Were, were you able to sit in on the casting sessions? Did you have any input as far as casting goes, or was it all mostly uh, other aspects with which you dealt? Um, partly casting. I, um. I, my memory is if we had any ideas, we'd give them to uh, Andrea Romano. And uh, but she came up with a lot of people, and um, and I guess all of us uh, had had something to do with it, uh, and, and especially Bruce. Uh, Bruce loved uh, casting, and he had a lot of ideas. So um, I give her stars for the casting on that show. I, I remember the, they took a, uh, an ad out in Variety, and the uh, the whole ad was a page of just the, the actors who were on the show, and uh, it, it was it was amazing. I mean, it just filled the page, um, small type, but all these great people. And so, um, yeah, it was her doing. Talking about producing a little bit, you've got sometimes you're listed as executive producer, sometimes supervising producer. For the layman's like me out there, what's what's the difference between supervising producer and executive producer on some of these features and uh, animated series? Um, you know, executive producer usually means that you're just uh, just uh, uh, skimming off the top of the show, and the real <laughs> per real producing is being done by the guy who's just called the producer. And um, an associate producer is the same way, except it's it's on a lower level. But uh, mostly those years, I was a producer and a writer. Right. And Warner Brothers sort of split up the production jobs between writers and artists in that the, uh, the the producers who were writers were in charge of the scripts and and they, you know, looked at the boards for uh, as, far, as far as I was concerned, just for story points. And uh, on the other side of it were the uh, producer directors who were artists and uh, dealt with the whole art area. So um, but I went to recordings and made my notes sometimes to um to editing sessions, but I had a, my I had my hands full a lot with just getting the scripts out. So 
that was mostly what my main job was. Of all the uh, obviously fantastic projects you worked on for uh, Warner Brothers DC Animation, uh, Static Shock, which was is still beloved, and now there's talking about uh, bringing Milestone comic facts to, to the DC Universe and either doing a live-action movie or another animated series for Static Shock. You got to work with the late, great Dwayne McDuffie on that. And from what I understand, that was his first foray into actual animation. We'll take our first break, come right back, talking more with Alan Burnett, so please stand by. Hey, this is Phil Lamar. Homies, Conrad. The samurai known as Jack. And you're listening to geek to me Radio. Welcome back to geek to me Radio. I'd like to thank our show sponsors, both the City of St. Charles, the Greater Convention and Visitors Bureau of St. Charles, and Marcus Theaters, along with Movie Tavern. We'll tell you more about them later in the show. Before we took that last break, we were talking with Alan Burnett about working on Static Shock with the incredible Dwayne McDuffie. Yes. Um, he had only been in comic books before that, and maybe some other stuff, but not not in animation. Um, Dwayne McDuffie uh, was a genius, and Static Shock got him out here, and I'm proud of that. That's <laughs> one, <laughs> one of the things I'm mostly proud of in my career. I brought, uh, I got uh, Dwayne McDuffie out here. I met him a long time ago when Milestone was still going in its first wave of comics. I had a meeting at DC and I met uh, the, the, the four main guys, including Dwayne McDuffie and uh, Dennis Cowan. Oh, yeah. And uh, they used to send me the, these comics um, along with all, all the other DC comics every month. So I get this big box of comics and inevitably the first, sometimes the only comics I would read would be the milestone comics. <laughs> I just found them great. Yeah. I just fascinating up to date today's sort of sensibility um big themes important themes uh a lot of humor just i i just i love the milestone comics and so there came a time when i had a chance to uh pitch some new shows to the to the uh kids wb um and i i sold static i told the story many times before on one line i i just held up the comic and i said uh the, the the first issue with a picture of static on it. And I said, this is Chris Rock at the age of 15. And it was sold. We had, mm. we had a show, but yeah, I love the, uh, I love those comics. So we started producing the show and we started writing the show. This fellow named Chris Simmons, who was writing the pilot. And we got in touch with Dwayne and we really wanted him to write a show for us. And he ended up writing the rubber band man show, which was the fourth show, I think. And uh, by that time, we were struggling with the show. It just wasn't hitting right. And that rubber band man script that came in, uh, we didn't know what we were going to get because this was Dwayne's first script. And um, and my story editor, Stan Berkowitz, uh, suddenly appeared at my door and he had, had the script in his hands. He says it came in. And I looked at him and said, how is it? And he sort of gave me this wry smile and he said, it's great. Wow. And it was it was to that show what uh, Heart of Ice was to Batman the yeah. Animated Series. I mean, it was the show that uh, that that said what the show was. This is the show. This is what we want to do. So I started um, calling up Dwayne and saying, "You've got to get out here." And we gave him more <laughs> assignments, of course, but you've got to get out here. And when he came out, I mean, he was a hit at Warner Brothers from that point on. 
I mean, he just understood it. And the amazing thing is, the, the amazing thing is that he wrote that particular script, he says, or his, his wife, Charlotte, said, in one day. Wow. And I've never written the script in a day, <laughs> uh, good, bad, or anything. I've never done that. And he, he wrote it for one day and then held on to it for a couple of days. So he didn't seem like such a know-it-all or he would think <laughs> that uh, we, he was really taking it seriously. Anyways, he's sorely missed. Oh, he is missed. Absolutely. I can't tell you, he, Absolutely. He, uh, I, I can't tell you many times uh, since he passed away, we've been in an office saying, boy, if only Dwayne were here to write this. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, he stuck around. He did obviously some fantastic episodes of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. Uh, just he, yes. like you said, I obviously beloved by Warner Brothers as soon as he walked in the door. Yes. And he was starting in on a live action movie writing career uh, when he passed away. I would have loved to have seen what he would have done in the movies. It would have been great. And you did mention Batman, the animated series, uh, The Heart of Ice, which is, I, if I'm not mistaken, I, I feel like I heard a story or maybe it's just Internet stuff. But Paul Dini was almost ready to walk away from Batman, the animated series. And it was kind of you who coaxed him back. And Heart of Ice is kind of the 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 child of that uh, arrangement, if I'm not mistaken. Am I remembering this incorrectly? Did I hear it wrong? Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. And he he wanted to uh, move on. I think he wanted to be part of another show that wasn't happening for him. And he decided, well, maybe I've had it with uh, Warner Brothers. And I said to him, you listen, you wrote the original Bible on uh, Batman. You know, Batman backwards and forwards. Don't you don't you want to do something for for the show? I would love to have you be part of it and he said well i have this idea and um he told it to me in a sense i said I said write it give it to me i need to i need the sh i need the script that's going to make this you know I, I i i felt at that time that, that i didn't quite have the script that was the show yet a day or so later i got this outline it was about two pages a uh, single space and i was all alone in my office it was like seven at night when i i got it and uh, I remember sitting there reading this thing and going, getting so excited that I, I called up Fox, uh, who was our network at the time. And Sydney Iwana was there. And I said, Sydney, I'm, get, I'm getting you an outline that is to me the show. And uh, I want your eyes on it as fast as you can get it because I want a script as fast as I can get it. Put your eyes on it as fast as you can read it. And anyway, so he got back to me. He was very excited too. And uh, we got Paul going. And I told Paul that this is the show he should be doing. There's just absolutely no doubt. This is the show that will make his name, really. I really felt that. And I, I, I said heady kind of stuff like that to him, but I really felt it. And it, 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 and it became true. He was, he was great for the show. And, and later on, he became a producer on the show, as, as well as being the story editor. And I know Heart of Ice, whenever the the uh a poll is taken on social media heart of ice always ranks consistently in one of the top batman the animated series episodes ever but it also like you said was very indicative of the show because it gave such uh gravitas to these characters like mr freeze or like clayface uh that really made them upper echelon batman villains where before they'd kind of been in the background they'd been obviously part of batman's tapestry but what we obviously are used to Otto Preminger or George Saunders playing him in the 66. Yeah. But then you get Michael <laughs> and Sarah's voice behind that script. And it was a game changer. Yeah, it was. Uh, he was terrific. I remember uh, Bruce Tim wanted no emotion from the guy. And I remember Michael and Sarah reading and Bruce said less. And Michael and Sarah did the line again. Bruce said less. 
so, <laughs> so he finally he finally got that portrait uh, from Aunt Sarah that he wanted of a guy who uh, who's had all emotions frozen out of him. But yeah, that was our uh, that was sort of the way we did scripts. I mean, we took the villains and we tried to figure out something. What made them tick is what we try to figure out, and, so, and we try to make them flesh and blood human beings, and uh, and and that's you'll find that most of the stories are about that. They're about the villains. One of those things. I think I don't think I I've, I know I've heard the saying, but I don't think it's ever been more considered the fact that every villain doesn't picture themselves as a villain; they picture themselves as the hero, and you can clearly see that, like we mentioned with Mister Freeze, with Clayface, with obviously with Mad Hatter. Uh, they don't see themselves as the bad guy. They're doing these things because they feel like they're the victim. Uh, and I think if if that was saying was around before Batman the Animated Series, it was definitely Batman the Animated Series that kind of drove that point home for people. Yeah. I mean, the only villain who was wildly uh, uh, crazy and evil on his own was the Joker. The rest of them had quirks and uh, backgrounds, had human stories behind them. And you brought that over to the Superman uh, Animated Series as well, which... Uh, I always feel it doesn't get as much love as the Batman animated series, but it's it's equally solid and it, it's uh, had those same sensibilities that, uh, you know, these these uh, other than Lex Luthor, who I, I still find it hard to relate to Lex Luthor. But a lot of the other villains, you kind of see that they're they're victims. Uh, but like I said, Alan, you've had such a, an amazing career getting to play with all these people and getting to write and create brand new ones in many cases. Do you have of the let's say the villains you've gotten to write and work with in any of these animated projects. Do you have a favorite? We'll take another break, come back and get that answer from Alan Burnett right after this. Please stand by. Hi, this is John Glover, and you're listening to Geek to Me Radio. I love a good geek. Welcome back to Geeks Me Radio. We mentioned earlier our sponsors uh, would not be possible without the potential growth that we are given by our sponsors. And we'd like to thank our premier sponsor, the City of St. Charles, the Greater St. Charles Convention and Visitors Bureau. Go to the website, discoverstcharles, that's discoverstcharles.com, to find out more how you can plan your trip. Looking for something to do in the new year? St. Charles has a great place to visit, uh, lots of great things to offer. You can stay there if you're from out of town with bed and breakfasts and hotels, a number of places to stay. If you're here in town, you really have no choice. You should have visited St. Charles by now. Uh, you can plan your trip right now, see what there is to see and do, all that and more directly from the website, discoverstcharles.com. That's discoverstcharles.com. Before we took that last break, we were chatting with Alan Burnett. And we talked about of all the different villains he's gotten to write for and work on on these animated shows, including Batman, the animated series. Does he have a favorite? Well, in the beginning, my favorite villain was uh, Two-Face, and I liked him as a kid. I remember reading the first Two-Face story and being amazed by it. And uh, what I did was, uh, what I thought that we did that was different was that we we didn't uh we gave he, he was a he was a split personality before he got disfigured i've always you know i've felt that you know just disfiguring your face doesn't turn you into a monster but if if you had problems before that maybe it could bring out that problem mm. and that's that's what i thought was the original idea that we had with uh, two-face but uh i read a comic book where this theme was also in the comics, but I, re I read it after uh, we had done the show. But uh, I, I always liked Two Face. I like 
I like split personalities. I love ventriloquist. Uh, yeah. In fact, Paul and I had ju- have just written a comic book together, Paul Dini and I, that has the ventriloquist, and it was great fun. And that'll be coming out in uh, December and January. But anyways, uh, I-, I love the ventriloquist and the Joker. You know, they all they all have something to them that uh, that makes them interesting. Um, I'm trying to think uh, of others that I they they all have something. And uh, so next question. <laughs> okay. uh, for Batman Beyond, uh, we're moving forward in the timeline. That obviously brand new idea. And it's at the at the time I remember watching it, uh, the pilot, I guess, the opening movie for it, which kind of was the uh, pitch, I guess, or the groundbreaking thing to get it into the series. And it aired at in the evening. And I remember watching it thinking, I'm not quite sure, but it it's one of those things now I look back on and I can't imagine not having Batman Beyond. It, it's brilliant. It's still got a great life in the DC comics. And to know that you had a hand in creating that, were there nerves going into pitching something brand new based on something so successful as Batman the Animated Series? Or did you kind of already feel like we laid the groundwork? We got this. Well, you know, we, we went in to talk about the next uh, season of batman with the head of the network jamie kellner and he was the one who said you know we'd like to do a batman show with a younger batman we think we'll bring in more younger viewers we were getting viewers we were getting sort of the 9 to 14 viewers and for saturday morning they really wanted 6 to 11 so we really worked it out there there was no set pitch we said to him we were thinking about it, thinking out loud, and we said, well, either he could be Bruce, young Bruce Wayne, and we follow him around the world, uh, going from one place to the other and learning his, his craft, but then he won't, wouldn't have a Batman outfit, and we wouldn't have characters like the Joker. Uh, we decided instead to go in the future and create a new Batman who was a, a young man, Terry McGinnis in this case, and have Batman uh, Bruce Wayne as his mentor, and Bruce Wayne would have been close to 90 at this time. And so right there, that's how it was talked up in that office. And we went back and started working on it. I, I, I ended up writing an outline for a two-parter and uh, got made into a script. And then it was made into the show. The, the irony of it, and there's a lesson to be learned here, is that the show was, st- was as dark as Batman, if not darker. Yeah. And so those 9 to 14-year-olds were not going <laughs> to go away. And I'll tell you something, in the end, I mean, we got up, I think, to show number 54 or something. We had one more season to go, I think. And uh, by this time, the network um, was telling was telling other production companies who were coming in to pitch superhero shows that Batman Beyond was not what they wanted to do. So, wow. So, uh, yeah, we, we heard this through the grapevine. And, I, you know, I, I, I can't blame them. And the lesson to be learned is that if you really want to change, shake things up, you just get all new people and uh, let them start uh, at square one. Um, we were probably the wrong ones to do this. But on the other hand, we got a show that got a great reception and the character still talked about and had his own comic books and uh it's still sort of you know it's still it, it's part of the uh the, the whole batman uh what do you call it legend i yeah. guess and so it, so it hasn't gone away people still think about it as a living thing you know so so we did good on that part we did good for the fans you know we made something that uh Oh, we weren't really particularly nervous that people weren't going to accept the thing because we thought, 
you know, it pleased us and we're fans. So, but, but in the end, it just, um, the show was still too old for what they wanted on mm. Saturday morning. And some of the episodes of that, again, uh, some of my favorite episodes, like out of the past where they bring back Rachel Ghoul. Uh, but obviously the two part episode, the call just, I still get chills when Superman first shows up. And that's when you again, co-wrote with Paul Dini. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, and we had fun with that. Yeah, we had fun with that. So I, and I don't know if this has changed, but I feel like you've said before, one of your favorite episodes of Batman Beyond was the egg baby, which was brilliant in its simplicity. Uh, but it, it kind of, again, shows Terry trying to juggle. And it felt, again, it, it's a little reminiscent of how Peter Parker must feel as Spider-Man constantly juggling things. But we never really saw that with Batman. But here we've got the younger Batman. And we kind of now see that that same side, which uh, I can see why it's one of your favorite episodes. Yeah, it's, it was a great idea. And it was one of those episodes where I just saw the comedy. I just, it was right there. And I took an active part in writing it, and uh, I really enjoyed it. it. I'm trying to think, but I think it's the only daytime Emmy the Batman people ever got. Hmm. I think I think it is. And part of the reason is because it's comedy. It's light and fun and, uh, and, and had a, a story idea that was... You, you you didn't see it anywhere else. It was pretty unique. So um, yeah, I don't think Batman animated series ever got a daytime Emmy for best series, but I think Batman Beyond that one did. So I love that one. Yeah, well deserved for sure. And then you mentioned kind of the changing. Obviously, uh, we will go from uh, New Batman Adventures and Batman Beyond into the Batman, which had the same kind of Jackie Chan Adventures style animation. Uh, new voice cast was brought in and you had some uh, you had a, a hand in kind of shaping that one, too, uh, before we then moved on to I feel like after we brought in other superheroes towards the end of that series, then we get Justice League. So the it's very interesting. It went back to the Bruce Tim style animation for Justice League. Where was the concept as far as changing up the animation, everything going from new Batman adventures into the Batman for those five seasons? Uh, what was kind of like? the the thought process going into that from the executives and from the people who were like yourself involved in the project. Well, first of all, they wanted to sell toys. Of course. So, <laughs> uh, so it's time to bring time to bring back Batman. He's always good for toys. And uh, I had very little to do. I had nothing to do with the uh, beginning of that show. I think I wrote up a page for my boss, Sam Register, which was sort of like it was sort of a splash page. So we're developing a Batman show. It will be new, blah blah blah. We'll have. A lot of kid appeal, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it was just a, a piece of publicity. Mm. And that's that's really all I had to do with the show. It wasn't until the fourth season that I started writing on the show and doing some super some story editing, I guess. But it wasn't until the last season, which I was really involved with, in which they were introducing uh, characters from Justice League into the show. That's when I really feel like I produced the show. And then- Although... Somehow my name was on the uh, fourth season, and that's the season that got the Emmy. So there you go. go. (laughs) And then, like you said, you transitioned. I know you weren't initially involved with just the Justice League animated series, but you did come in on Justice League Unlimited. Was it it a time commitment thing? Did you have too many other projects to transfer in on that one? No, I I, I just didn't have any time. You know, uh, Bruce Tim was open to having me on the Justice League show, but I just told him, I had to get away from the DC product for a while. I had to get out of the Batcave. Yeah. I just couldn't. Yeah. So um, I've never done a Justice League show. I wish I did, but I did. <laughs> I did. One of the things with the Justice League Unlimited, they had the uh, the epilogue, which kind of brought back 
Batman Beyond. And I feel like some people have said that it was kind of supposed to be kind of a de facto Batman Beyond series finale as well as kind of tying up loose ends in the Justice League. And you said you weren't really a fan of making Terry Bruce's biological child. No, I wasn't. And I and Bruce and I have talked about it. But Bruce, it's one of those things that got into Bruce's head. It's one of those ideas that he had to work out. And he did. And that's fine. But I, uh, I don't accept it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I just think Batman is you don't have to be the prince to the kingdom. You don't have to share, you know, you don't have to have the genetics to become Batman. You have to have the willpower. So he's the most democratic of all superheroes. Anybody can become Batman. It doesn't depend on genes or, uh, or your bat or, or who you were, who your family, where you came from. It's, it's totally you. And I think that was one of the large appeals about the Batman Beyond series was this this wasn't Bruce Wayne. He didn't have the upbringing. He wasn't a rich kid. uh, And he and he was he had the heart of a hero, though. And I think that's one of the appeals of Batman Beyond. So I I can I can honestly see it both ways that that epilogue episode didn't bother me. But again, it was kind of like, oh, well, that's interesting take on on everything. So it's 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 a weird dichotomy how I feel about that. Well, you know, it was just, you know. Uh, Bruce is a great fanboy. He, he, one of the reasons he's, he's he just has his pulse on things, and he just he just was compelled to work that out. Once it got in his head, he just had to work it out. So there it goes. That's that's that story. And you've worked on a lot of the DC animated features, which I'm not alone in this opinion by any means, are much much better by far than a lot of the live action DC offerings that have been out there, just in terms of storytelling. Uh, and as Kevin Conroy says, you can do a lot more with animation than you can with live action, certainly. But I think it's that the heart of them is the story, uh, the way they're fleshed out and everything like that. And with the death and return of Superman, which was just a year ago, you actually did the death of Superman way back on one of my very favorite cartoons, Super Friends Galactic Guardians, which I think is still yes. the best of those cartoons. But you you were killing Superman off way before it was cool. We'll pause right there, come back, and continue chatting with Alan Burnett, writer and producer on so many projects. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Shannon Farnan, the original voice of Wonder Woman, and you're listening to Geek to Me Radio. Welcome back to Geeks Me Radio. Chatting with Alan Burnett about uh, all the work he's done. Obviously, Superman, the animated series. He's worked on some of these feature DC animated films, like The Death and Return of Superman. But we, we mentioned that he was killing Superman way back in the 80s before it was cool to do so. He did it on Challenge of the Super Friends. Well, my, my favorite comic book as a kid it was The Death of Superman. The one where Luther... Um, uh, shoots him with these deathly uh, kryptonite rays while Lois and Perry White and Jimmy Olsen look on helpless. And that that story, I think I was 11 years old when I read it. And that story actually made me cry. And and uh, so I wanted to do something like that for uh, Super Friends. And we were in the second season where we were allowed to be a little more, uh, we were allowed to appeal more to older kids. So we managed to do it. And I remember he was one of the notes that came through from uh, Broadcast Standards, who we worked with pretty closely because they were very uh, touchy about stuff, was does he have to have – does the dead Superman have to have green skin? It's just so scary for <laughs> our audience. 
And I and we said yes, yes, it does. And they they ended up accepting it, but it it was a uh, it worked out well for for um, Super Friends. Of course, that story ends happily. Yes. The imaginary story from the comic book is a tragic story, and uh, and I, I I picked it up about I don't know three or four years ago at some uh, comic book convention, and um, and it still had power. It still had a lot of power. I don't think there's a meaner Luther in any story that has ever happened. I think he comes off as about as mean a supervillain overall of all the villains. He comes off um, as dastardly as any of them. So um, it's 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 a, it was a great comic. And there's been so many iterations of Lex Luthor, but again, it's something about these animation things. Uh, whenever I read a Superman comic, I I hear Clancy Brown in my head when I when I hear Lex Luthor when I'm reading Lex Luthor parts. Um, and talk about a, a dastardly guy as far as the Superman animated series and everything like that. Talking about you couldn't have green skin on Superman. I can imagine the standards people wouldn't have been fond of. A lot of the stuff you guys did in both Batman animated series and Superman animated series nowadays. But obviously, at different times, things change. But uh, have, did you ever get much pushback with the other things you did in the more modern series? No, you know, I think that uh, they wanted, it was an afternoon show. So it, even though it was, it was under Fox Kids Group, it was a show not meant for Saturday morning. And in, in the afternoon at 3.30, I think it was on, you could get away with a lot more. And so, uh, you know, I always thought of the show as a primetime show in a way. And, and Fox was always pushing for more, uh, more seriousness, more adult themes. And we were more than happy to oblige. Sidney I. Warner, he wanted a, a show, I believe, that was would be kind of startling. He was the vice president in charge of programming at, uh, at Fox Kids. He told me uh, weeks before the show was to debut that his higher-ups, uh, the people outside of the Fox Kids, the, the higher-level um, executives, they were expecting an Adam West show. Ah. And they were they were about to be in for a surprise. <laughs> <He did>. I say, <laughs> but it worked out well. I mean, it uh, it helped put Fox Kids on you know on top. So uh, yeah. And you've worked on uh, so many other shows, uh, like we mentioned. Uh, you've uh, worked on New Sca- Scooby and Scrappy Doo, uh, a lot of '80s staples like Shirt Tales and Snorks, Challenge of the Gobots oh. and Smurfs, oh. and then into the <laughs> Disney afternoon stuff, which Ducktales, Tailspin, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, which are some of the most beloved cartoons. If we go outside the Warner Brothers uh, DC Comics umbrella, do you have a favorite of the other ones? Well, I loved the DuckTales that I was working on. I was working with uh, uh, Ken Koontz and, and David Weimers, who were really primarily uh, sitcom writers. And they had that sitcom sensibility that I loved. And so writing for them, writing for that show, was an awful lot of fun. But I was only at Warner Brothers, I mean, at Disney for about, uh, what? Just a couple of years because um, I just wanted to move on to something other than feathers and fur. And that's right. all that was there at the time. <laughs> but the DuckTales, I, I loved. And, you know, I also like working on the Smurfs. I did two seasons of Smurfs as a story editor. And it was maybe the hardest job because there was some the, the, the politics were crushing on that show. Hmm. Uh, Peo, uh, who was the creator of the show, had say over premises, and we must have written three times the amounts of premises that finally got accepted. And writing premises is work. It's hard work. 
and we got it was to the point where we would go through the <laughs> yellow pages of the phone book trying to figure out new smurfs you know uh <laughs> andy man smurf you know so that's the sort of you know but we did some half hours that i was in charge of that um i thought were really good they were really like fairy tales but uh, i was glad to get off that show that show um <laughs> that show was i got up to a pack and a half of cigarettes on that show oh my gosh on the last, on the last day i stopped that was the <laughs> day i stopped smoking yes but the ducktales um, mostly and uh, you know I, I like doing comedy shows and ozzy and drix was a show i did for yeah. warner brothers for two seasons and uh it was as much fun as i've ever had on the show and i had a guy um doug langdale who's as funny uh, an animated writer as you will find in the business and he became my story editor and it was uh, tremendous the work he did on that show so um yeah that was uh that was a well-produced show ron myrick produced it and i had a lot of fun on it uh unfortunately it it, it was doing well and it would have kid appeal but it uh they couldn't figure out the toys on it so mm. it died because of uh a lack of toys. That was the same for um, Static, believe it or not. They couldn't sell toys on it. it Don't ask why. A, a trending theme because I know the uh, original, that's, that's the original reason Young Justice went away after season two is because they said, well, the toys aren't selling well, but the cartoon was so good. It's amazing that the, the toys and the merchandising are what sometimes drives these projects. Yeah. Uh, usually that is what drives these projects. So. And you talked about working on comedy. Freakazoid was another uh, great example of some uh, just a funny, fun show that you worked on for the WB. Yeah, I did. I did a couple of scripts. I had a good time. Uh, Paul Rugg and John McCann were running the show at the time. And and um, it was a fun show. That show had a, actually that show started with me. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was having lunch with Bruce Tim and some other people. Probably Paul Dean was there at the hamburger hamlet and we were talking about what we wanted to do after batman and i said you know it'd be fun to do a crazy sort of what if the joker were a superhero <laughs> and and that was my one contribution to that show because <laughs> bruce went with it and started developing uh, a joker as superhero and that became a freakazoid i said i told him i said i see the name the freak and he said how about freakazoid and uh, he started working on it with Paul. Somehow I went away from it. Then it went to other people's hands. Um, but it was um, a Tom Ruger took it over. Um, and uh, then uh, Paul Rugg and, and John McCann. And I know you do these interviews and you obviously get asked a lot about DC and uh, WB and Batman and everything like that. Is there any, because you've got, like I said, a huge IMDb credit uh, be between writing and producing. Is there ever a project you've worked on that you were surprised you don't get more questions about? We're going to take our very last break, come back, and finish talking with legendary producer, writer, director, Alan Burnett, so please stand by. This is Andrea Romano. I happen to be the voice director for many animated series, including the Justice League. You are listening on Geek to Me Radio. Welcome back to Geek to Me Radio. 
Finishing up our talk with Alan Burnett. Before we uh, get back into that conversation, I want to remind you, Marcus Theaters. That's MarcusTheaters.com. Also with Movie Tavern now. Great places to see a movie. We just saw Wonder Woman 84 in theaters, and it was glorious to behold. Uh, The movie, no matter what you think of it, movies are always better when you see them on the big screen. And that's just something that can't be replicated no matter how good your home theater system is. Marcus Theaters Movie Tavern. Check the website, MarcusTheaters.com. You'll find one close to you that is still open. Uh, you use the app to order a concession, so you have a more contactless uh, experience there. They've got foot plates on all the doors. You don't have to grab the handles to open them. They're requiring masks unless you're seated in your seat eating or drinking. Otherwise, you have to have the mask on at all times. Social distancing encouraged. They've got spaces laid out. I felt very safe. My family went with me. We all felt safe. They even said that they hadn't been to a movie in so long, they're glad we convinced them to go see Wonder Woman 84 at Marcus Theaters. So thank you to Marcus Theaters. Thank you to Movie Tavern for being a show sponsor for keeping movies open uh, in a safe and effective way. And we make sure that you get out and see a movie. Do so at a Marcus Theaters or a Movie Tavern. Finishing up our conversation with Alan Burnett. And we were talking to him right before the last break about uh, if there's any project that he's worked on that he doesn't feel gets enough attention. Um. Ozzy and Drex is one. Nobody ever asked me about that. Hmm. Um, otherwise, um, not really. I did a show that I enjoyed, was, but, but, but it was for preschool. I actually was a little older than preschool, which was Crypto the Superdog. And no one ever asked me about that. <laughs> uh, but uh, I've been lucky. Uh, people have paid attention to what I'm doing. And uh, I just feel that, uh, that Ozzy and Drex was uh, just a a fine fine cartoon so i can't uh, i got my share of credit for stuff so I'm, I'm a happy guy and you've got those emmy awards uh we mentioned for several of your projects were were you surprised most by any one of those or did you kind of feel like yeah we kind of this is something we really well deserved uh not in a cocky way but was there any one of those emmys that you were kind of like wow we're up against these people and we won for this uh i've won i've won actually four emmys and all of them, even though one of them's for Superman, all of them are connected with Batman. All of them featured a Batman in the show. And um, I'm trying to think what the fourth one was. But the, the second one, the primetime Emmy that we got for for the Superman show with Batman, Superman, the world's finest. Yeah. That is my that is my favorite thing that I ever did. And I was happy to uh, get an Emmy for it. Yeah, and that still holds up. I mean, a lot of people have even said, you know, we got uh, the big budget Batman versus Superman a couple of years back, and they're like, why couldn't it have been more like World's Finest that you guys did? Because it was it was this perfect. There was that rivalry, but they, I mean, just well written out with Lex Luthor, and it just it, it couldn't have been better. Yeah, there was um, it had a lot of comedy to it, and I like it when when the shows have comedy to it. And that particular one, uh, there was a critic who wrote that it was a menage à quatre. Uh, not a menage a trois, a menage a quatre, because there was uh, Clark and Superman and Batman and Bruce Wayne, all four of those guys, vying for uh, Lois Lane. Right. <laughs> and I thought, he's absolutely right. That's exactly what that show is about. And it didn't hit me until I read it. <laughs> uh, that's what made it fun. Justice League Action, I believe, was one of the last projects you worked on. Are, are, you, are you actually retired or you just kind yes, of I, selectively well, reti- picking I'm, your? I'm doing a comic book now, but I'm pretty much retired. But you you were mentioning uh, shows that didn't get um, the attention I thought they deserved, and Justice League Action was one of them. It was a great show. It was, it was a lot of fun, and um, 
Jim Krieg was on that show with me, thank God. He brought in a lot of new writers that I had not met. And it was great to see the next generation of writers coming in. And many of them said that they were heavily affected by Batman the Animated Series because they were just what, eight or nine years old. And they used to rush home at 3.30 because it was must-see TV, but yeah. it was a point on television. So uh, Justice League Action, I think I thought was a great series. I mean, I think uh, it was just a lot of fun. And some of there's some that uh, that just uh, I belly laugh at some of the jokes. <laughs> it was it was what uh, Super Friends should have been. Yeah. Uh, so I I started my career with uh, Super Friends, and I sort of ended my career on Super Friends, but a much a much uh, uh, higher level of uh, quality. But yeah, that was a, that was an awful lot of fun. That show. It was a nice going out show for me. I've been retired. I live in Florida now. I've been retired. I'm what three or four years. And in the last year, I got a call from Andrew Marino, who's um, uh, a story editor at uh, DC Comics, and they wanted to create. They wanted to do more stories in the Batman animated series vein. So Paul Dini and I have been writing these comics together for about a year now. Yeah, I've got uh, I've got some of those series. That's uh, as soon as I saw that that was being made, I'm like, well, I'm going to make sure that I add that to my poll list because you can't go wrong. Well, it's uh, we, and we have a uh, a 30 page uh, holiday issue coming up, uh, which is great. It's the best thing we've done. <laughs> it's just, it's just <laughs> a lot of fun. So I so be on the lookout for that. It's a digital comic book. It comes out as a regular comic book uh, the first week after January. Perfect. I'll be on the lookout for that as well. And I know you. we talked about, uh, obviously, Justice League action. Uh, we talked to Andrea Romano, and she said she would come out of retirement if the Warner Brothers higher-ups decided to do a Justice League reunion with the original cast, George Newbern, Susan Eisenberg. And I know... You weren't involved with that series, but a lot of people, I'm not sure if you're aware on Twitter, the hashtag JL reunion, because the fans really want to get the original seven to come back. Uh, I've been lucky enough to have all of them, Carl Lumley included, on my show to talk about the wow. series and what it meant to them. Andrea said she would come out of retirement to direct it, even if it was a movie, if they did it. As a producer, and you've worked at WB, it doesn't seem like the higher-ups are terribly interested. In, in your experience, do you think that's Again, from a, well, we already saw all the toys, so what's the point? Or is it just kind of like wanting to move on now? Uh, Bruce Tim said he'd come back. What would you think, in your mind, might be the holdup with the uh, the suits up top? I, you know, I couldn't tell you. Um, they do like to push on to new things. Before I left, every once in a while, we would bring up the idea of doing a Batman the Animated Series as a, uh, a mini-movie, you know, as one of the uh, DVDs. And so, so I could see it happening for nostalgic reasons, but um, better happen pretty soon, you know. Yeah. You know, generations continue. Uh, I wouldn't hold your, your breath. I think they, they they just move on to other things and other ideas and new people, and it's fine. I mean, it, it at least the, the, it had its life, and it was a good, long, and entertaining life. So that's a question that Bruce. That's a Bruce Tim question. I'm just not sure gotcha. people have in mind over there. But like you said, at least you went out on a high note. Uh, that's that's the best we can ask for. And you've got such a legacy uh, that you've left as far as uh, the writing and the, and the producing on it. So many of these beloved animated projects. Uh, one last question then before I let you go. Uh, of all the DC animated features you've been involved in, of those, do you have a favorite? Yes, I think I like the Red Hood story the most. That was brilliant. I think it, it's really well directed and um, well written, and um, and it was just it's a great it's a great story. 
there's a, there's many of them that I like, um, but that that one in particular, I remember uh, seeing it at uh, the at, at Comic Con, at a big screen that we had, and after they do that screening, they show a sort of midnight screening right afterwards, and I went back in, and because seeing it on big screen is always it always uh, is different, and I went back in to watch it again. I've never done that huh. uh, with others. But that, that one in particular, I thought was really well done. That's saying something because I said you've you've got a lot of uh, credits to be proud of under your belt, uh, and I know you're not uh, you're not on social media much. If people want to like kind of keep up with you at all, uh, talk about you, you know obviously you're working on the this new comic uh, and everything like that. Where can people kind of find you? Are you're not on Twitter, or Instagram, or anything like that? Do you do much social media? Or? I well, I uh, do Facebook. You uh, want to be part of Facebook. Uh, give me a, a note about who you are, why you want to be, because <laughs> I um, try and uh, pare that down. But uh, but that's it. That's all I do. Yeah. Understandably. Well, I, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I appreciate your time. Well, Jane, thank you. Uh, enjoy the enjoy your retirement, and uh, hopefully we can uh, maybe see you back doing some other uh, big screen stuff. Cause obviously you have the magic touch, sir. Oh, well, that's very kind of you to say. Um, I was, I've been lucky enough to work with a lot of great, great people who knew what they were doing. And it was, uh, it's been, tre- it was tremendous fun. So thank you very much again. That's going to do it. Episode 200. Thank you all for supporting me uh, and listening as long as you have another 200 yet to come, my friends. So stay tuned, stay with me, make sure you are going to our link in the show notes and if you're buying something on amazon click through from geek to me radio so we get a tiny percentage of whatever sale it is no matter what you buy so we'd appreciate if you do that and also make sure you're supporting us on patreon.com search out geeks me radio and until episode 201 my friends it's not in the way you watch i sound Thank you, Duckburg. Good night. Hi, this is James Enstall, host of geek me Radio, and in honor of my favorite Themyserian, I've decided to become an Amazon warrior. Harrod, give me strength. The next time you want to buy something from Amazon, go to geek2meradio.com first and click on our Amazon affiliate link. Simply shop like you normally would, and when you check out, a small percentage will go towards supporting the show. So remember, the next time you want to search Amazon for the 